Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Still Alice, Merchants of Doubt, What We Do in the Shadows, Sunshine on Lathe, The Salt of the Earth, and more. This week at the E-Bar, Crow Town and PQ, PQ, PQ play a show on Thursday, April 23rd. And the next night, Hylotrons, Scattered Clouds, and the Golden Dogs roll through town. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. For more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit Creative Control with Beach Comic. Hi, how's it going? I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while I often just have you noticed lately I just like get right to the show and some of you probably appreciate that I just haven't said much here I don't know I feel like we're not are we not talking are we not on speaking terms are you okay with this I hope you're okay I'm feeling good about things generally I wanted to tell you that uh, this week end I'll be in St. John's Newfoundland for the Lanya Vanya Festival I'm doing Another long night with Vishkana talk show. How are you enjoying those shows, by the way? Have you been hearing those ones? They're different. They're not the interviews. Well, they feature interviews, but it's like a talk show. Right? Do you like that? Do you not like it? Tell me. Tell me somehow. You know how to tell me. Send me a note. Put it on the Facebook. Just do something. I just have no idea how these things are going over. I personally like them. They feel... You know, it's I like the audience. The last one was good. The one at the Spurfest, I think, mostly it was good. Sound, sound issues, but mostly I enjoyed it. I really did. Good guests. Going to have good guests in uh, Newfoundland, as far as I know. I believe author Elizabeth DeMariaffi is going to join me. And then um, some visiting artists from Iceland, whom I don't know very well. and don't even want to try to butcher their names for you right now. They're supposed to be on the show. The Burning Hell is my house band. It's all happening at the Eastern Edge Gallery in St. John's, Newfoundland at 7 p.m. 
Friday, April 24th. So if you're around Newfoundland, please uh, come by. Well, I don't know what we're going to do exactly, but it'll be fun. And that's all I wanted to say. On this episode of the show, Andrea Warner joins me to talk about her new book, which is called We Oughta Know. We Oughta Know. Do you know about this thing? Do you know about this book? It's out now, or coming out very soon on Eternal Cavalier Press. It's called We Oughta Know, How Four Women Ruled the 90s and Changed Canadian Music. It explores the rise of Celine Dion, Shania Twain, Alanis Morissette, and Sarah McLaughlin, who are, I don't know if you know this, some of the best-selling music artists of all time. And... It's very fascinating. I don't know how many times I'm going to talk about Celine Dion with a critic on the show. Did it with Carl Wilson, I don't know, a year or two ago. But it seems to be a thing. People are talking about taste and and popularity and how they relate. And uh, it's a very personal story by Andrea. And uh, it's an interesting book. So I recommend the book and you'll, you'll get more insight about it uh, Right now, now there are a couple of book launches for the book this week. The one in Toronto is on April 22nd at the Supermarket. It's hosted by Lana Gay, and it features musical performances, or no, just one musical performance by Hannah Georges. A set, I presume? I don't know. And then there's a Vancouver launch on April 25th at the Lido, and that's hosted by Lisa Christensen, and it features musical performances by Louise Burns and Catherine Calder. Whom, uh, she's also a member of the new pornographers, pornographers excuse me she just put out a new self-titled album you're going to hear a song from it on the show and uh, myself and Andrea Warner talking about uh, the 90s and women men, perceptions gossip I think this is a good episode so here it is, myself and Andrea Warner listen to this get the book we ought to know thank you The 32nd Annual Hillside Festival takes place July 24th, 25th, and 26th at Guelph Lake, Rain or Shine, featuring performances by Astral Swans, Bad Bad Not Good, Badminton Racket, Baskery, Battle of Santiago, Braids, The Brothers Landreth, Bulgarian Voices Trio, By Divine Right, Tim Chasen, Nels Klein Singers, Constantines, Nick Crane, Alex Cuba, Daka Braca, Del Bell, Doldrums, Echo Deck, Darren Edens, Eloquent, Etiquette, Nick Ferrio, Jeremy Fisher, Frazy Ford, David Francie, The Good Lovelies, Great Lake Swimmers, Ash Grunwald, Hungai, The Henrys, Suzanne Jarvie, Mo Kenny, The Cramdens, Daniel Lanois, Last X, Lee Reed, Lids, Look Vibrant, Le Luc, Minotaurs, Moonface, The Once, Nancy Pants, Doug Paisley, Fred Penner, Perch Creek, Poor Man's Whiskey, Natalie Prass, The Spring Standard, Jamie Stone's Lomax Project, Sultans of String, Team, Thus Owls, Tribekistan, Riley Walker, The Weather Station, Jason Wilson and Pee Wee Ellis, and more to be announced. For more information about purchasing tickets to this accessible event, please visit hillsidefestival.ca. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. 
Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. First of all, welcome back to Ontario. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been here in a year and a couple months. A year and a couple months. What yes. were you here for last? Uh, I was here for a, a CBC Music offsite kind of uh, thing where we, you know, spent a few days brainstorming the content and editorial structure. Uh huh. How did that go? Oh, you know, we had an editorial structure. <laughs> <laughs> went, went okay it was it was a lot of fun i mean i think there's like a lot of value in getting when you're spread across the country getting everyone together in one room is yeah. pretty great um and also it's nice to see everyone and be friends in real life instead of only online right um that's pretty valuable as well but um but yeah it was good 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 and do you like toronto generally I do. I used to not like Toronto very much. Um, I uh, The first time I ever came here, within like two hours of getting off the plane, I saw a teenage girl mug an old woman on Queen Street and knock her over into the street. And wow. I, I had just come from living in New York for like four or five months. And, and I, was, I had never seen anything like that in New York. And I was like, what the fuck, Toronto? Oh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was like, yeah, what? is happening Toronto like what is wrong with you um but the last several times I've been everyone has been so nice and lovely and I feel like I have this sort of like um like small community of really like supportive friends and peers and coworkers and colleagues here um and and so it's really nice I have never seen anything like that in Toronto. I, I know think it was a one-off. I, <laughs> I know, but it's weird that you would have gotten here and immediately saw something like that. Yeah, it was pretty violent and horrible. Um, I'm very fond of elderly people. Yes. I'm also very fond of teenagers, so I was, you know, sad on both. And tranquility and abiding by rules a little bit. Yeah, like I'm pretty non-violent, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. Well, hopefully <laughs> it was a long time ago. this trip is better for you. Um, congratulations on your book, first of all. Thank you. I just finished it today, and I want to ask you a little bit about what motivated you to write it. Now, having read the book, I know exactly what motivated <laughs> you to write it. It's kind of a false question, but for people hearing this, 
Can you delve into why you felt suddenly inspired to write this book about this period between 1993 and 1997? Well, it, it was sort of like um, the, the factoid nugget of it all was, you know, this sort of statistic um, that uh, of the 10 best-selling artists in Canada, um, four were Celine, Shania, Alanis, and Sarah. And they were all bigger than the Beatles, according to this like yeah. This listicle. is this is an instant. This is an international based list. This is like yeah. everybody who sold records in Canada. Yeah. So the rest of the people, are like well, Diana Krall is on Diana there Krall's too. Diana Krall's on the list. She was number ten. Number ten. You got Andrea Bocelli. Mm-hmm. You got you two. Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. But they're all bigger than the Beatles. Beatles were number seven right. versus Sarah's number six. The list has shifted a tiny bit since January 2015. Um, but it's still sort of how's it shifted? Oh, uh, the, the it's been updated with like newer numbers. So like now the list is like eleven. I think Diana Krall is at number eleven. Oh, and Sarah has shifted one back or something. Okay, okay. I don't know the prime. The prime Did the Beatles list. move? I'm only concerned about the Beatles and their sales. Did they move up? I don't think up? they moved up. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's interesting. I'm sorry. Hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just I just like had been thinking about that and just in writing about music and writing about women and writing about feminism. Um, uh, really like thinking about the fact that like these numbers are so huge and so monumental to the Canadian music industry and why do they become why how did they become like punchlines a lot of times I understand they have a huge fan base and there are a lot of people who like worship them but they've also you know they're sort of considered not cool they're um kind of figure like jokey figures I don't I didn't feel I don't feel that they get the respect that they deserve um I feel if they were men they would get far more respect particularly with that kind of like economic presence yeah and uh i really wanted to explore that and think about also like i i hated celine and shania when i was a teenager you painted yourself as a teenager as really the people who resonated with you of this grouping were alanis morissette and sarah mclaughlin Mm -hmm. both of whom had kind of underground bona fides more indie whatever and then these other two, Shania Twain and Celine Dion, seemed like prefabricated pop concoctions yeah. that someone also, you know, at the time, all of the kind of behind the scenes gossip about them was that they had these men in their lives. Like why does why does Shania Twain's music sound so much like Def Leppard's? Oh, actually they got they, they Robert Mutt Lang and then Celine Dion has this I mean, you refer to it. I mean, you, I, I know I, you did this artfully. I think you were trying to balance your initial criticism and instinct with uh, about Celine, who's you know married to this guy. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Renee. Renee. Yes. Yes, Renee, and he was he's twenty six years older than her, mm-hmm. and was scouting her basically when she was what fourteen, twelve, twelve, twelve. And then married her when she was of age, basically. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you even ignore this story. Well, that's the thing. You can't really ignore that story necessarily. And I think, I mean, I tried to... What I was going to say, you balanced it. You actually did a nice job of like, yeah, some of this stuff does seem a little odd, Mm -hmm. but it's not enough to completely discount these people as artistic forces. No, and I don't... And I I think like, I, I really wanted to like address my complicity in sort of upholding really sexist attitudes towards these women. I when I forced myself, I I think of it as like like trying not trying to like account for being an asshole. Um, I really feel like I was kind of an asshole as a teenager, and I think that that makes sense. Um, I had very strong opinions, and I still have very strong opinions, but I. I just bought into this whole thing where they didn't count because they didn't seem real or they had these like 
um, these pop facades. They had like these men behind them. And I don't think any of that is actually true at all. And I really loved facing up to like things I had been complicit in and really like reevaluating and recontextualizing what their success meant. Cause I think Shania wrote really great songs. Um, herself, I, herself. Yeah. I don't think all the credit belongs to Mutt. The songs that she wrote that were just like the ones on her own. I think they're stronger than stuff she wrote with Mutt. Um, Celine has busted her ass singing in bars since she was eight. So did Shania. Like, yeah. these are people who... Little kids. Alanis Morissette, too, was Alanis writing Morissette songs like too. eight years old or something. Eight years yeah. old, too. Um, you know, these are these are people who fought hard from the get-go. They did sort of luck into these creations where or these situations where they found people who supported their dreams... But it doesn't actually mean that those people then own their dreams. Like they worked hard. They had the talent. They did it. Right. Let's delve into you did the way your book kind of unfolds. The first four chapters, I guess, are about the well, maybe the sorry, the, from the second chapter on after you've kind of introduced the, the concept, you kind of delve into each of these figures in terms of the work they did around this period, 93 to 97. Can you, as briefly as you can, kind of summarize each of these overviews for people that are listening so that we can get a sense of where you're coming from uh, and, and where these folks are coming from and where you're coming from in terms of what we, what you talk about in the book? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, with Celine, I really I really wanted to think about what her um, the sort of the legacy of the art that she has created um, versus uh, I think her her situation is all about love. Everything she does all the time is all about love, um, being the music that she makes to what has motivated her uh, as an artist in relation to her husband. Um, the sort of the mythology around her is romance. You know, um, I think it's a very sexless kind of romance, uh, but I think that she has created this sort of really grand, um, you know, Valentine's Day and Celine Dion. That's your hand in hand forever for some people yeah not for me but for a lot of people <laughs> sure okay and you call it sexless because of i, just, I mean this is a knock against her that her music is uh, emotionless on oh, some level i think level. it's like fully emotional i think it's like incredibly emotional i don't think of it as um as sexy music i think it's like it's like this sort of um you're not likely or at least i'm not likely to fantasize about a relationship with her you make in this, these songs. You make this comment uh, a few times, I think, in the book about how Celine is someone who always seemed 50. Yes. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, she just always seems to present herself as someone who is... Like, you know, what's the line where she talks about being dissed? Yes. And you're just like, this is just temporarily... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. So the sexless thing, this in a weird way, it's like a timeless thing almost. Like she occupies this strange, hard to pinpoint space in the space time continuum. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't know if it is necessarily to do with the fifty things. I think there are a lot of fifty year olds who project really great sex. Um, I think absolutely. There's just, I mean, maybe it's it's the sort of like lack of translation. I mean, that was one of the interesting things that I came came about in my research that I didn't have enough of a chance, I think, to explore. But the idea that when she's singing in French, she's considered one of the most um, emotional singers, and people in Quebec and France. Anywhere that's French speaking, think of her as, you know, this tidal wave of emotion right. and sincerity. 
and it's not it doesn't really shine through in english and in her english language songs hmm. um which might be just it might be just an esl thing and kind of a nerves thing about how to interpret that's interesting the language. that's interesting do you think it has this sexlessness that has been attributed to Celine has something to do with her sex appeal? No one would suggest this of Shania Twain. I mean, she's writing maybe a bit songs that are a bit more coy, maybe a bit more teasing, you could argue. Um, but when Celine does it, it's just, I don't know if the correct phrase is off-putting, but people have kind of ascribed this like, I'm not into this. Like, it doesn't turn me on, mm-hmm. uh, even though she's singing about love and in some cases about sex. But do you think it's because people don't find her physically attractive? I mean, it might be. I, I think like she hasn't necessarily made that a huge part of her package, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, I think more so people are responding to the fact that she she does she does attempt to sort of manipulate people emotionally. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where the absence of of sex right is involved. okay, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't feel. Um, I think there are actually a lot of people who think she is stunningly beautiful and all of these different things. But um, I think that can be different than sort of like really moving someone from the genitals, as it were. Sure. Okay. Let's move from uh, Celine, whom your personal engagement with was fairly minimal before you started writing this. In fact, actually, I shouldn't say it's minimal. You actively abort her on some level. Like you <laughs> yeah. just weren't a fan. Uh, someone else, Shania Twain. Let's move on to Shania Twain. What was your perception of Shania Twain going in to this book and and what is it now that you're you're done well i had already really started to reconsider shania's sort of like legacy um i found i was doing a bunch of research a a couple years ago when thinking about what her career had been like spanning those 20 years and i was so struck by her work ethic actually number one um and just the amount of uh and i think and i talk about in the book about how i feel like i was a teenage slut shamer um just the slut shaming that she encountered because she wanted to dress however she wanted to. Like people opted to see that as a removal of agency. Um, and I think, I think she was very much in control of her image, of her talent, of her success, every, everything she wanted to do. You know, she ultimately made, I think four records and then opted out of the world because she could, and she didn't want to do anything else. Right. Do you You know, was that, when did she, uh, uh, her collaborator and husband was Robert Mutt Lang. Mm-hmm. And when did they break up? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's it was after, well after she dropped out, maybe sometime in the mid to I late like 2000s. I only, yeah, I only heard about yeah. it in recent years, I mid think. Mid to late 2000s. And that, I mean, that was like such a scandal. In, what know. happened? I can't even remember. Oh, he had an affair with her best friend and then she, and they they are married or at least together. And she... Shania took up with the best friend's ex-husband as oh, well. Oh, wow. It was just they, a Just a partner swap. swap. Yeah, just a partner just swap. Just a partner swap. Just a casual a Swiss, uh, Swiss partner there swap. Was the, yeah, she's in the Swiss Alps or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you, what do you, what do you say to people who are like, is it telling that she hasn't made a record since her partnership with her producer and husband uh, dissolved? What do you say to that? Well, I don't think that's actually like telling necessarily. I mean, I think she... She, she went found, to Vegas and stuff, She went right? to Vegas. She did her show. I mean, and they split up, you know, after she decided to leave music. You know, she had had a kid and she wanted to raise a family. Oh, okay. Um, she had done a bunch of other things and she just wanted out of the limelight. She was touring relentlessly. And, you know, I think it was it was quite a lot of work, um, frankly. And I, I feel like she just decided she didn't want to make music at that point. Uh, then they broke up. And oh, now she's she's got this 
next record, which is greatest hits, but I think there will be a couple new songs in this farewell world tour now. Right. Um, I I honestly like I really feel like when I was listening to every song, the song the song that was on I can't even remember which record it is now, but there's particularly one record where Mutt does one song and Shania does one song, and Mutt's is terrible, frankly, mm. and Shania's is great. And I really, I mean, I know that can't be the template for everything, but I think she brought a lot more to that partnership um, in terms of uh, songwriting and talent and, and production uh, that she just never gets credit for because he was such a giant. You seem to enjoy um, sort of suggesting that in the book, that if you actually look at Mutt Lang's career, his successes weren't as, you know, big as we think they might have been although at the same time like he made didn't he make hysteria by def leppard and he would have made a couple of albums with brian adams yeah he was also responsible for probably i think the worst brian adams record too right um yeah you mentioned that, that in the book you and, know that and he worked with acds like i mean he's, i mean i'm not discounting him he entirely had, he had successes sure and a lot of them if you i don't have all the examples at the top of my head but i feel like between the hits he had for Brian Adams, which, well, one of them was a ballad, Everything I Do, mm-hmm. I Do It For You. But some of the more rock stuff between him and, and uh, between Brian Adams and, and Def Leppard, there's a lot of similarities that have his stamp on them. Mm-hmm. And some people have said, well, they kind of, similar uh, patterns emerge on in Shania's work. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? Well, I think obviously they were partners. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they decided to have all their credits together, songwriting and production. Everything was right. sort of co-credits everywhere. So obviously his stamp would be all over the place, you know. I think that's that makes sense okay. to me. Okay. All right. I, you know, that, so your reading that, is that his work isn't necessarily superior to what she did on her own. Yeah, I don't think it is. Okay. I think it's just different. He has a particular style, and he brought that into the music, and she has a particular style. It's just because there's so many more examples where he gets credited for Brian Adams, Def Leppard, etc. Yeah. Um, that's where people and people want to pay attention to the men who make the music yes that is the ultimate point all right so going in uh you recall your youth and your perceptions of shania as this pop tart mm-hmm. and coming out you're like oh no she was more talented than i gave her credit for than she gets credit for and it's likely because she was a woman that she isn't given the full respect mm-hmm. okay yep <laughs> that's it sorry that's, that's all it. that's, that's all, those are all the things you want for uh, me and okay. i'm giving you so much more i'm sorry yeah, no 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 it's great i just want to i want to capture that so then we move on from Shania to Alanis Morissette, mm-hmm. who was huge for you yeah. when she emerged. Talk about Alanis a little bit. Uh, I think, I well, in the, in the shorthand, I worshipped her, and I probably still do. At the very least, Jagged Little Pill. That record to me was everything, and I think it, it really, going in and listening to it numerous times over and over again and really sort of analyzing the things that she was saying, uh, I really also wanted to... I hadn't really thought about it at the time, but I, you know, I was like 15 or 16 when I was listening to that and she was 19 and 20 when she wrote all those songs, 21 when she recorded them. Uh, I think that's the other big part of all of this is um, these were very young women making hugely successful records. Right. And uh, there's a lot of, aside from the age or the sexism and and any misogyny, there's ageism at work in all the ways that we discount these women because young women's voices don't count. You take a lot of glee in a particular chapter (laughs) uh, that just features highlights of critics' assessments of these women and their work. Talk a little bit about why you chose to do this on some level because it's an interesting, like... It contextualizes the time that that you're kind of covering, but 
it's kind of a gotcha chapter. Like it's just kind of a like, all right, asshole. Like look at like you're just taking little things that, like snippets, like uh, yeah. quotes uh, from their articles, and just being like, ah, uh, this is highly problematic and and nuts. Like where did you get the inspiration to actually go after everyone like that? Well, just as I was reading everything and reading all, I mean, I'm oh God, I read for like a month basically all these different things, and I kept coming across these just horribly offensive pieces of what i think are only quote unquote called criticism because they're really just mean-spirited mean-spirited wank-off jobs that are just and i mean men and women disappointingly the some of the women's pieces are particularly harsh particularly harsh and i think there's a lot of context that could go into analyzing that as well in terms of what it took at the time for women's voices to count in music criticism to play with the big guys you had to just be equally mean-spirited perhaps we also you and i as writers some we know that sometimes an editor's hand can sometimes you you might be published but sometimes there's things in there that you've kind of worked out with your editor Mm -hmm. who knows if that's a a true intent i'm not trying to i I think that's probably what their intent was and yeah uh and all that but yeah it's a it's a i just as i say it's a sharp you seem to be enjoying just taking all these people down 20 years later. I really do. I know that seems like <laughs> kicking a dog when it's already done, but but you ha- I think we have to re relook at the the media that stays alive. So like the stuff that's written about these women, it is most of it incredibly harsh and horrible. Yeah. And that's that's media that colored a lot of people's perspectives and ideas about how we relate to them 20 years later and why they don't have the same respect as other performers. Um, if you Google any of those names and you want to find stuff that was written about them, like that's where we see, I mean, the particular, particular offensive, particularly offensive to me was this idea of like the, the victim culture concept that was introduced in like around 95 or so. That's the, yeah, that was really difficult to even read. I was enraged reading that in your book. Oh my God. I wanted to vomit the whole time yeah. and it's horrible, 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 horrible. And I think that there's an element of that that still persists to this day that tells us we can't be vulnerable, you know? And yeah. I think it mo- it motivates so many different ways of our lives. It's not just about the women and the music. It's the way we do everything. Well, Anna Smar said uh, one of the key th- phrases that seemed to be ascribed to her at the time, and potentially it might be her legacy, is that she was an angry woman yep. who was writing songs. And you feel like this is not an appropriate encapsulation of her. Well, it's just it's just so limiting. There's there's so many aspects to being an angry woman, and I, no one is ever just an angry woman in perpetuity, you know. Um, and when when you get labeled that, I think, and I I think I've been labeled an angry woman myself periodically. Yeah. Um, uh, wait a minute. By whom? Oh, I I have a long history. <laughs> <laughs> Who calls you an angry woman? I'm just curious. Oh, I well, I just feel like people. Have, I mean. So like a guy right. who works at a convenience store is like... Just in general, like anytime a woman articulates sort of like some dissatisfaction with some element of her life, I bet you anything, every woman you ever have known has in some way been called an angry woman at some point. Bossy has become a big thing lately. Bossy is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's whatever. That's also ridiculous. Um, all of it is kind of ridiculous. And I think it's it's refusing to acknowledge that like women and people not just women but people have lots of things going on inside them it's not just one thing it's not we're not like these these just one pencil in a box there's like a bunch of stuff right yeah right and i think that this is soundbite culture you're attacking this is like Mm -hmm. these people are just like we need to sell 
an idea more than an idea of someone almost more than them themselves. So we're going to all gang up and decide that Alanis is this. But I mean, as you also acknowledge, she wasn't angry. Sure. Among other facets of her work, some of it was quite angry. But there's so many there's so many things going on in that record. Like if you, you know, Jagged Little Pill, yes, there was definitely a lot of anger there. But there's also a lot of heartbreak and devastation and vulnerability and I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that you could go into. Which are offshoots of anger as well. Uh, they all can be, but yeah. they can all, yeah. you know, they can all be offshoots of then of, of love or, or anything else. Like mm -hmm. they're all interrelated. And I think to, to parse it down to one thing is, is where we get like these sort of weird problematic descriptions of women that I don't see men being as vulnerable to. You did do a defense of, you conducted a, a, a slight defense of ironic. Mm -hmm. because uh, this has become <laughs> this song uh, was almost immediately called into question by like linguistic experts were yeah. being called to uh, testify as to the validity of this song which seemed a little intense to me even at the time I was like yeah I mean it's not right but this seems kind of overkill to just be harping on how wrong I mean god of all the stupid songs that are out there yeah i mean to really be going i mean can you talk about that why do you think that <laughs> do you think it's because she was a woman and she was successful that people were like yeah this she was a young woman she made so much money she was everywhere and people just wanted to take her down a peg like but it's is it just backlash or was there some validity to what they were saying well i i think that it's i think it is partly just backlash i think there was so much glee with which if there hadn't been as much glee with which people wrote about it then it could be just like a yes. We've suddenly decided that we would like to be scholarly at Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, um, that's probably not the case because they're not spending a lot of time discussing like Rolling Stones lyrics about you can't get no satisfaction. Like no, like no, people don't care. <laughs> people don't care. About this is by the way, so people understand. All of this was pre the Weird Al song, Word Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really the greatest policing of language and music. Which and that's like a fun thing to do. I love policing language and music. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly spend a lot of time sort of I don't know, spending hours and hours writing articles about how one person got it wrong. I just realized the other day, listening to A C D C that the song Fire Your Guns seems to be about penises ejaculating. That's just the theory I have. But it never occurred to me until that song came out in 1992. <laughs> and I was just listening to it with my son the other day. And he was like, what is this song? <laughs> you know, he's three. And I was like, oh, and I got to explain these stupid songs. That, yeah. I mean, anyway. Yeah. Th it, th that seemed nuts. Yeah. The ironic thing. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Sarah McLaughlin. Yes. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin. My God, this chapter was very painful for me to read. I, I, um, it's heart wrenching. Uh, your relationship with Sarah's music um, uh, is connected to the loss of your father. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, this was difficult for you to delve into. What did her music mean to you at the time? Uh, when, when, when she was so she put out "Fumbling Towards Ecstasy" and. Mm -hmm surfacing and you mentioned you were disappointed by surfacing but you were a big fan of hers i was a big fan of fumbling towards ecstasy um i you know i'd really loved vox as well um moving into all that rarities and b-sides um i i think like I, I mentioned this in the book but i you know i <laughs> it was quite a quite a weird eye-opening thing to think about how much i loved sarah and uh, you know part of that was was part of the reason i wanted to pitch the book entirely um but to not think about what that meant in relation to my own life, my own personal experiences at the time. 
um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't thought about how I would have to. If I'm writing a book about 1993 to 1997, I have to talk about my father dying at the end of 1996. I hadn't even considered that. Um, it's, a, I, it's a it's quite uh, a, as I say, it's a very riveting and compelling part of this chapter where you begin to, as you're writing the book and we're hearing your narration, you kind of talk about what you wrote in the instance that you realized yeah, that had, these things were dovetailing. Well, and you think about like the way the music affects you and stays with you for life and then you don't you don't think of necessarily about the sequencing of music and records because that's when you still listen to CDs in full, you know. <laughs> um, it wasn't quite as single culture as it is now. But just, yeah, going through, you know, fumbling had meant so much to me and then Rarities was this great... Um, it felt like this great weird record that was both extremely experimental and extremely emotional. And it just happened to coincide with, um, you know, uh, my father dying relatively suddenly when Mm. I was 17, um, about a month before I turned 18. And, you know, Sarah McLaughlin's music had, had been so much a part already of my friend history and what was going on with all of my friends. And then, I mean, it's not even so much the, I will remember you sort of the, the sort of, I guess now it's like sort of a hoary cliche, but it's it was the really, SPCA song. It's the SPCA song, yeah. It's um, it wasn't even so much that. It was really moving into the sort of gloomy Sunday and and blue and all of these different things that, um, those those songs felt like they really worked me through a lot of my own feelings at the time. You, yeah, basically after these four chapters, uh, where you basically offer these biographical reflections of these artists and. And the work they did in this time period that you're exploring, from then on, it becomes this very personal book. We learn a lot more about you and your upbringing and your and your attitudes and and you know how they informed how you received these people. Why choose to do this? Why throw yourself <laughs> into this? So like you just reveal so much about yourself. Yeah, I know it's weird. Um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily what I intended. Um, I just figured that. The pitch of the book originally had been to think about, and did it mean something special that these four women came to this huge prominence in the exact years that I was in high school, and what that meant to sort of like shepherd me as a young, you know, emerging feminist through the rest of my life, and how would they stick with me through the rest of my life? I didn't know I would write about music when I was in high school. I loved music. I was a writer yep. already, but I didn't know that this would be sort of where I would go. Um, and so when I, when I pitched the book, I said that I would have a sort of a bit of a personal angle as well. And I, I've been writing a bit more personal, I think, editorial style, sort of like essays and stuff in the last couple of years. Um, and then the first draft that I sent to the publishers, they, they wanted more me. That was like their big note back to me. Um, Eternal Cavalier. With your initial draft, uh, what would have been missing uh, that's currently in the book in terms of you stuff about you? Did you talk about your I had, I father? Know, yeah, my dad was already in the book, yeah. um, but they wanted like more stuff like that. They okay. wanted so more about like how I sort of came to be uh, a feminist when I was young, um, just different, uh, a little, just more me. That's what they wanted. More okay. Me. So I just uh, and I can't even remember now exactly what 
that me was that I added. <laughs> it's so weird <laughs> to think of it. Um, but I remember getting that feedback uh, and I think I cried because um, I was just like, I don't know how to give any more of me. Like, and I already felt kind of vulnerable. I mean, as a journalist, you're trying to sort of leave yourself out of the story. It becomes less journalistic as the book proceeds, yeah, right? It becomes yeah. this personal story. But I mean, it's very much a story about personal connection and taste. Yes. Uh, or rather a book, rather. It's not just a story. It's a, The book is really about that. So it, it does make sense. Like I wasn't, I didn't find it jarring, but at some point I'm like, are we going to get back to the <laughs> other four ladies here? Because you're just talking about these yourself so much. And uh, but I think that part of what you're dealing with, as we all kind of are, it seems like people of our vintage are being forced to reprocess the 90s, because for a lot of us, it was the the most formative period of our lives. We were teenagers becoming adults. Yeah. And it for all I know, there's some people are like the 90s sucked. Sure. It was tough. And. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rough and, and gloomy and, and uh, angsty and it wasn't fun. But that's where I come, came of age myself. So as I'm reading your reflections of this time period, I'm thinking about taking my sister to see Tori Amos. Like mm-hmm. I had a chaperone her to see Tori Amos and I would, and she had fumbling towards ecstasy. Love Sarah McLaughlin. And I just didn't listen to it. As a kid, as an open-minded music person, mm-hmm. you know, I was. I think I was more than some kids probably were. I tried to be. Mm-hmm. But there was this, sh- that stuff was my sister's the stuff. door, yeah. And I listened to Tori Amos a little bit, and I just decided it wasn't necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. Probably the same thing about Sarah. I would watch the videos, and I knew some of the songs. But your sort of re- relationship with your teenage self it's very similar to mine. You're mm-hmm. a woman, I'm a man, but I had the same thing. Like, these are the people I accept. Yep. These are the people I don't accept. In retrospect, I probably was ex- more accepting of men. Maybe Kim Deal was probably one of the first people that I didn't even think about it anymore. At some yeah. point, you just don't think about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But you're going through this stock shake, stock taking of your own life mm-hmm. what do you learn about yourself at the end of a book like this because it's got to be cathartic and therapeutic on some level oh it's definitely cathartic and therapeutic on some level i mean i think i, I think i really i'm trying to always just be like a better person mm-hmm. and i'm really thinking about what that means in the last couple of years particularly as i write about music and i write about uh feminism and i i think about the language that we use to talk about women uh, and and musicians and sort of disparity in the sort of resources that we have as well um, when we're thinking about uh, you know 
even just something as stupid as like making a list of the 25 greatest songs of whatever the 90s sure you know um or or whatever like we think of we we go to who you know we identify with personally ourselves first and then we start to think about like how do we include other people that don't maybe look like us or sound like us or whatever and i think for a long time it was just so often men in those positions so that's where we see covers of music magazines in the 90s and 2000s and even now like men in position of power and they they're putting men on the cover they're putting men in in these various places i wanted a chance to really think about what it means to be a woman choosing to write about women and, and just really trying to think about how to recontextualize everything for all of us what do you make of this notion of talking about something and not talking about something and yet it's still having some efficacy and I'm, i want to try to unpack this as i'm talking to you because i don't even know what my question is yet <laughs> i was thinking about myself again <laughs> and encountering sonic youth mm-hmm. or seeing jail when i was 16 or seeing some of the people i saw every time i'd see sonic youth um i i found kim gordon endlessly sexy and attractive as a, a young man mm-hmm. but at the same time, I didn't think about it that much. I didn't think about the fact that there was a woman in a band in any case. Mm-hmm. So on some level, I don't know if that was healthy or not. I just didn't think about it. I was I, yeah. uh, I, What I'm trying to get at is that on some level, it just was accepted for me and probably some people like me. Just like, oh yeah, there's a woman playing bass or a woman playing guitar or a woman singing. Mm-hmm. Part of your argument is that we don't think enough about th- what must have gone on to get that woman to a place where she felt comfortable in a male-dominated industry. So I guess where I'm going is... Not even comfortable, equal. Equal, sure, accepted. But I think about like when you decided that Sarah and Tori weren't for you, based on whatever that was. But I don't think it was because they were women. I just think... I may have thought it's my sister's music. But but that is because it's... But like I don't think there's anything like mean-spirited in that. I think there's just there are a lot of ideas in our head about what music is for what people. Hmm. But so you're saying that part of me might have just thought these women are for my sister. Mm-hmm. But every time I went to see Sonic Youth or rocked out to a Kim Gordon song, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like maybe okay, there's maybe one distinction to make is that Kim was playing with other dudes. Yeah. I, well, and, I was gonna. That was probably my gateway. I was gonna bring that up but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i just remember like not even like i was like the breeders came out or Mm -hmm. the pixies you know all the bands i loved as a kid that had women in them i just didn't think about it probably enough well i think it just i I just like the stuff i liked yeah no i know but i mean i think i wanted to think about why i like the stuff i like that's the thing but do you think that as a teenager is that that's probably not something you're going to do Maybe not, but it doesn't hurt to sort of consider like why certain things appeal to you and what that means. Hmm. Um, I think like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, seeing Kim in, in the band wasn't to you like the, the focal point, but it maybe gave your brain this like sort of weird, this weird trigger that it's not weird to see women. That's what I'm saying. Like there's, you know, and I, I, some, I wrestle with this because I, I sometimes hear us as a culture, certainly American news networks know, like the 24-hour ones that don't have enough to talk about, will just talk about race endlessly uh-huh. and 
and why is there division? And part of me is like, well, isn't there always going to be division the more we talk about it? Wouldn't it be, if we stop talking about it as much, wouldn't it just be normalized a little bit? I, and I, I to think, a certain extent. Exactly. I think it's a, it's a, two, it's a facile argument on some level. Yeah. I think that in my mind, though, I long ago accepted certain other pe- people that are different than me. And I didn't think about it a whole lot. I just was like, at some point, I'm like, people are people. Mm-hmm. That's it. But I think that a lot of people don't feel that way. I think a lot of people don't feel that way. And I also think a lot of people, it's still, <laughs> it still has to be talked about who qualifies as people. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I think that's like a big part of the conversation um, as well. And just in all aspects of what we like, how we like it, why do we like it? Why are certain, why do certain things seem like they're for us and accessible, uh, accessible to us and other things we put our hands up towards and say, that's not, that's not cool. That's not good. That's not for me. What does that mean? And what does that say? The other thing that your book conjured for me was this idea of reassessing our our instincts. Because mm-hmm. that's a lot of what your book is doing. As a, I mean, you were a kid. I think that you give yourself some leeway and some slack to sure. be like, I didn't know what this was, but I rejected it or accepted it on face value and I went with my gut on it. But there is this thing going on and I don't. I know you didn't mention Carl Wilson's book. I don't know what you make of Carl Wilson's book. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about love. But as I'm reading your chapter about reassessing Celine Dion, I can't help but think of his book and his sort of reassessment of taste and why he didn't initially like Celine Dion's music and how he uh, warmed up to it. What does your book talk uh, say about this idea of instinct versus delving into a, uh, an artist? Because I was trying to explain this to someone the day the idea that if you research anyone enough mm-hmm. you might develop an affinity for them yeah absolutely but you're even if your instincts like britney spears oh god i don't want to write about britney spears like the music's vapid but the more you delve into it the more time you spend with someone in your case like shania twain or celine dion mm-hmm. the more you're like oh i can actually see the charm of this yeah did that happen for you do you oh, think, think that so. that's part of the book like i think that's part of the book for sure i mean i think that, uh, you know, both the Celine and Shania chapters got their start as pieces I had done on CBC Music. Um, yeah. The root of it is there. And I was I was researching them so that because I knew that I didn't like them and I wanted to figure out why. Right. You know, and I wanted to challenge myself to think about what that meant, both about me and about the music and if it said anything at all ever. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just particularly more and more as I become a grown up, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really a grown up, but um, <laughs> sort of a grown up. Um, I think it 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 lies on us to challenge our notions of of taste and what we like and how what we personally like determines what we think good taste is. It's kind of bullshit. Um, you know, I think they they both of those artists have fans for a, a huge number of reasons for ways that I cannot even fathom having that kind of fanship and that you know the feeling towards um finding something that you can appreciate about people isn't that hard you just have to look a little bit doesn't mean i have to like the music it doesn't mean i have to like um all of celine dion's discography because i don't um i think that's relatively clear but Um, you came around to some aspects of it but it doesn't mean i have to discount her talent or her credit or her her talent as a human her her success I think that was the big thing. I just want to not 
Like, who am I to say that she sucks? How does this line of uh, argument, I guess, how does this line of reasoning compare to what people are talking about poptimism? Yeah, yeah. I was at the EMP PopCon Thursday night and Friday, and the poptimism was like the big uh, opening keynote conversation. What's the gist of poptimism? Um, well, I, from your ang- from your perspective, <laughs> from my perspective, it wasn't really a term I was terribly uh, familiar with, but it seemed to me that it is an attempt to not dismiss pop music because for a long time, typically it was male rock critics that said pop music sucks. And there's a very gendered bias about that um, because primarily it was women making pop music or people who were queer or whomever. Um and uh you know it was an attempt to sort of like reclaim the and validate pop music so the poptimism was like the idea that like oh we're just all going to be like super supportive of pop music forever and we're just going to be optimists and pop music is great blah 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 um i I, like i i see it as just like oh maybe like not shitting on entire huge genre of music just because it's mainstream and accessible but there's an aspect of uh, someone wrote a piece about this recently and and the the other side of optimism is that critics are just being kind for the sake of being kind to some people like if a superstar (laughs) is a superstar it seems harder to find someone to criticize beyond the fact that she might make pop music it's fine it's becoming increasingly difficult to find discerning critics who will criticize Beyonce or Justin Timberlake even. I remember when everyone was like, Justin Timberlake's record's great. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the the guy from NSYNC? Like, so my, I kind of, something, my back went up a little bit. I'm like, really? <laughs> everyone, people I like and respect are now saying that the Justin Timberlake record's really great? Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? And I'm not, I didn't listen to the record, so I have no opinion on it whatsoever. But in keeping with what we've been discussing about your reassessment, yes, going against your gut, as a critic mm-hmm. now, as in the process of making this project, that's a form of optimism, I think. You well, are forgiving sure. some of these people, even though they, your gut is probably still like, what are you doing up there? What is no, happening? I'm probably like a full-on optimist. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, no apologies about that. But that could at be all. getting like, that could be getting older. That could be getting softer a little bit, don't you think? I, I mean, it could. Be, I mean, I think that I feel I feel fairly sharply about yes. <laughs> specific things. Um, and I think that there, I mean, I think there's nothing there. Poptimism gets conflated with like um, feelings and emotions and, uh-huh. you know, just the the idea that if you are enthusiastic about something, you are somehow failing to be critical of it. I don't think that yeah, those right. two things have to be, there doesn't have to be that disparity. You can be enthusiastic about aspects of different types of music and still be critical about it. I feel that in my book, I'm enthusiastic about the people. I've come to a place of enthusiasm about people. I can still be critical about the music and what, um, I- even their roles in our, our culture. It's true. Like as you, as much as you're focusing on these, these four women, you talk about, you still talk about shaky aspects of their catalogs. Yeah. Just like this song, like is just a misstep. Like, yeah. why is this song? You were talking about her Celine's album. Let's talk about love, and you're just like, why is this chock full of so much crap? It's so full of crap. And yet, it's like one. Of, it is among. Is it the biggest selling oh, yeah. album like, by a woman ever? Like, uh, I don't know, but by a woman ever. I mean, Shania it's, also fought for that title a okay. lot too. I don't know which one ended up um, nailing it, but uh, I mean, it's it's you know, they're not everything is gold, and I think like the idea when when. I don't know. I, I find that when people say poptimist, 
it's said with the same dismissive tone that people sort of discount uh or have discounted pop music for a really long time i don't i don't mind it like i i i think i i took poptimism to be more calling out journalists for their their if not their complacency but the fact that they've just become a bit less critical of things that they would norm i think that at some point after the 90s because i think the fact that your book ends in 1997 is part of this Mm -hmm. i think after the 90s this kind of musical orthodoxy ended this idea of like i'm a punk guy that's all i'm gonna listen to Mm -hmm. i'm a woman and i only listen to folk music at some point i think that i mean it's probably always gone on but i became more aware of it in high school and in university that oh everyone was like my friend who only listened to metal is really into tropicalia all of a sudden Mm -hmm. and you know that that stuff kind of melted that kind of like i'm this and i'm that Mm -hmm. so i feel like when people are talking about poptimism and at least talking about it disparagingly it's this sense of it is an offshoot of that of that like there are no teams anymore and so we're just going to root for everyone who's doing stuff (laughs) i don't think any in any way you could look at like music critics as being people who root for everyone okay music critics we're assholes sometimes yes i know um, and i think unfairly that's kind of how you become notorious as a music critic i know and that sucks too like there's still a reward for being a dick yes like why is that a thing i don't i don't get that either um (laughs) but i just but even even just like just thinking like sort of so recalibrating our brains to think about like um the examples even that we use when we're like so so just not to call you out at all because i don't think i don't i don't think this at all but like when you talk about like so i'm a man and i listen to punk music or i'm a woman and i listen to folk singers like those those two examples i was just no no no, i know but but just think about like just think about like those examples that exist that we call to mind all the time yeah that's sort of one of the things i want if there's any takeaway from the book an idea of thinking about like the examples even the examples that we get like the people who are quoted in our media the the go-tos for x y and z um when we when we depict on a denny's menu that um like a uh, <laughs> a white man is in a business outfit and a man of color is in like the workman's outfit like these are all very absolutely specific, like weird indicators of like what we think are traditional yeah models. i think i think that your book is trying to provide context for stuff that we have as a people have kind of misinterpreted or maybe shortchanged which is that these in particular these four women worked really hard they've been right most of them i think in every case have been like child prodigy like at least they knew at an early age that they wanted to go into music and were writing songs and i think that's all really valuable but at the same time like do you love so you came into the book being an alanis and sarah person Mm -hmm. and you were not into shania and celine obviously your opinions of the latter have softened but Mm -hmm. are you now a fan of their work Hmm. well fan um i mean i think i appreciate celine and shania on a different level i might be a a fan of some of shania's songs now um i've also like i like shania's songs yeah i like i liked hearing them on the radio i i i I, you know it's 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 against my 
I, I just thought they were kind of catchy songs. They're catchy songs. I mean, I think also and funny and funny, and they can't that don't yeah. impress on me much. Is kind of a funny <laughs> thing to say. I also um, Celine's song, the one particular song of Celine's that I love to this day and will never. The one that's like, um, like sounds like a meatloaf song. Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what it's called. I, it's it's in my head. It's like literally playing in my head. I can see the video. The windows are crashing open. The curtains. It's an early blowing. song of hers. Yeah, it's, it's. And you 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 mentioned in the book I that it was actually it. rejected by Meatloaf. No, 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 no. I oh, didn't, not that one. I took, no, I I hope I didn't mention the book because I took that out. Um, no, he he like oh, wanted I have a PDF. it. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, that, that's cool. No, he um he wanted it originally. I took I took it out because I I found other research that like argued that statement. So he wanted it and fought for it, and the guy said, "No, I want Celine to record oh, it." Oh, okay, okay. And so he was he was angry. Um, but uh, no, uh, I think I think like. I think also the the reason I cut it off in 97, not just like it was partly their success, like because that's when I think the successes peaked um, by 97, in my opinion. Um, Also, I don't I don't like much of Alanis's music after Jagged Little Bell. How many records did she put out after that one? Um, she's got quite a few. Um, A few? Really? Yeah. Hmm. But Jagged Little Pill is like the be all and end all for me. So you can't really argue that because I do think like Shania and Celine semi retired from recording. On some level, like they went to, what did they? Well, they I don't follow. Ve- they went, to, they went Vegas. to Vegas. I mean, Shania or semi-retired from recording. Celine hasn't. Has she made records? Oh yeah. This yeah. decade, okay. I didn't yeah, know she actually. The reason, the whole reason I ended up writing the original little nugget of essay about Celine was she had a new record coming oh, okay, out. Oh okay, okay. And um, did it come I, out? Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. it do okay? I don't know. Eh, it did. I mean, it. Didn't. I didn't hear a single or anything. Uh, there was a single, but I think it was confined to like adult contemporary. Hot AC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there's... Okay, that's fair. I just wasn't sure. I thought it was telling that Sarah kind of... I thought that the four of them worked really hard in this period you mentioned and had great success. And, you know, you talk about how Lilith Fair, uh, when it came back, Sarah's invention, Lilith Mm -hmm. Fair, which was very revolutionary and gutsy uh, initially and had success, but uh, when they tried to bring it back in 2012 or... Yeah, 20... Something like that? Somewhere in there it didn't really take yeah and you offer some reasons for that right Mm -hmm. i think i do (laughs) i can't even remember oh my god i can't remember either (laughs) but i know that it was like a little bit poorly managed and it wasn't terribly well thought out at the time yeah um well sorry my point was it did, did seem like these four women uh peaked and then seemed to disappear on some level but you're saying that's not necessarily the case they just i don't think they disappeared i think they just they just sort of weren't the focus of everyone's attention i mean you can't have a media cycle that lasts 20 years unless you're who michael jackson i don't even know who i don't even think that i mean he was really unpopular for a while that's true like i mean that was and not even anything to do with any scandal it's true you're right he's musically is there a a patriotism to your book maybe um i I mean you focus on four canadian women well sure and the publisher does specifically focus on books about canadian music right so there was that um angle from the beginning but i do think like we don't we don't have a a ton of material published on canadian artists um particularly canadian women so definitely i i'm waving the flag there i suppose um but uh and as a canadian i suppose um there's a patriotism that exists but it's mostly just what i know okay yeah you're not are you a patriot patriotic person I like Canada. You like Canada? Okay. Uh, I prefer going through our border crossings. You root for a Canadian artist if they're 
doing you know you want the canadian artists i to want do- canadians to do well i right. want there to be that sort of like international recognition um i want to see canadians in sort of more international publications I, i'm always going to root for the canadian usually. okay all right <laughs> Usually, unless I really can't stand that Canadian. Right. Okay. So I guess to summarize, what do you hope people take away from your book? Um, Do you hope it motivates people to think or think a certain way or do a certain thing? No, I mean, I would like so I would just so invite everyone to join me in like revisiting anytime you think maybe you've been unfair or an asshole or complicit in um, sort of like a, a, a structure that you are vehemently against or opposed. I, I am vehemently against sexism. I have been complicit in that sexism and perpetuating that sexism. And it was really uh, rewarding so, and challenging to unpack that. But you, you say, huh, it's inter- this is an interesting tension in your book. Because mm-hmm. you, you, you feel like your teenage self was unnecessarily harsh towards Shania and... Um, and Celine, uh-huh. and you, you know that it's partially based on. Sorry, I think you probably presumed it was mostly due to your tastes. Mm-hmm. But you now ascribe a certain amount of sexism to that. Is that oh, is well, that fair to yourself? Yes, I think because there is so much sexism, so much innate sexism rooted in our culture that it it it's pervasive everywhere. Mm. Like all of us unfortunately have like colonialist ideas sexist ideas like it's just it's it's just everywhere and that's when you know that that makes sense based on like the people who have sort of like shepherded the culture that they want yeah into the system the language that we use the ways in which we interact with people our expectations of like people who's visible who's not visible who's made invisible um no i think i think that all the time um we are complicit in sort of upholding a lot of beliefs that we don't we don't particularly ascribe to um and you know that was that was, i felt really eye-opening for me do you encounter sexism you're you're a music writer sure, uh, yeah. do you encounter sexism in your work uh, i mean as uh, working with different editors or i mean you work at cbc music uh, yes have I do. you have you encountered well i've worked at a lot of places to right. be fair like yeah. it's not specific to cbc but certainly in every place well not every place but like i have encountered sexism in various different um but do you see it as disguised freelance positions is or it whatever. in response to your pitches or in response to oh i've definitely had people say that they don't want to hear the word misogyny ever mentioned again by me um i've had people ask why we would write about that woman Again, not specific to CBC Music. These are all. I the wasn't places. suggesting that. I know, but I want to be clear, just because <laughs> sure. there's, you know, there's. You've worked for you worked, worked for, for tons of places. Yeah, I've worked for tons of places. Yeah. Um, I, you know, just even in even just in in meetings where people have said, "Well, why would we talk about her? Like, what value does she have?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, she's only X, Y, and Z. Like, whatever, whoever the her might be at the time." Um, but I feel like there is like sort of a constant. Uh, request for me to defend sometimes if you're talking about women in particular uh yeah huh and and like you mentioned this a few times in the book that as much as you're talking about 1993 to 1997 and we mentioned earlier that there's all these reviews and editorials about some of these uh artists that seem dated and maybe of the time but you're like it's still happening oh yeah and this is so part of the book is like Take a look around you. 
Yeah, I, it's not that it's it's not that different. Unfortunately, still twenty years later, and I would. I didn't like mean it to, to argue earlier, by the way, that not talking about this is healthy. But I think that there's some people. I see it in my son and my children a little bit. Like they don't. I sometimes have. Knowing my, what my upbringing was like and encountering people of different ethnicity and just being like a kid, you just say whatever's in your brain. Sure. And I, I've sometimes been like wary of that happening, but I don't see it. I have hope for the next generation of people raised by people who don't emphasize difference as much. You know, like mm-hmm. my parents weren't like that. They were new to the country and they would say weird racist things in a benign they thought in a benign way like just explaining like you know that person's from that country that person's from that country Mm -hmm. part of me is just like i don't really talk about that stuff necessarily with my son i want him to be an enlightened but i don't want to suggest that i'm coming at it from a place of us being different yeah i don't i mean i don't think it's necessarily something you have to burden children with until they experience it and then you sort of start to unpack why those things exist yeah you know it's not it's not a matter like I want to just constantly I, I certainly don't want to like other women out of the word musician. That's not a, that's not that's not that doesn't interest me at all. Um, I want the word musician to mean everybody who plays music. Um, but I think it it doesn't to a lot of people. I, I, my point is that I hope that as as this generation of sexist dies, I don't even mean dies out. I want them to die. <laughs> but as they die and they leave their jobs, I hope that that people stop not I don't want them to stop thinking about this, but I hope it becomes less of a thing that we have to talk about and address. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, like part- it would be great if it became less <laughs> of a thing. I think everyone on board for less of a thing. Yes. And I think like maybe in certain cases it is less of a thing. Yeah. Um I think it's just a matter of the who still gets paid? Yeah. So yeah. when we look at like who is still making the money to uphold a lot of ideas and traditions, yeah, um, those are the people. Yeah, they probably definitely just need to die. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're working at. Uh, so you've got the book coming out, and you've got a. When's the book launch? Uh, Wednesday in Toronto at Supermarket from six to eight p.m. It's April twenty second. April twenty second. Yeah. And in Vancouver on April twenty fifth from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Lido. And you've got uh, Lana Gay of CBC Radio 3, if that still exists. Yes, she's uh, hosting in, in Toronto. Toronto, and Hannah Georges will be performing. Wow, that's amazing. Is yes. Hannah in Toronto now? Uh, she is, at least for a little while. Oh, she just happens to be around. Making a record or something, I bet. Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's what these musicians do. Yeah. And then in Vancouver, you got Lisa Christensen from... Lisa Christensen, formerly of CBC Radio 3 and still of CBC uh, on yeah, the coast. on the coast. And uh, Catherine Calder and uh, Louise Burns will be performing. Amazing. That's yeah. really cool. And you're you're liking your work at CBC and, yeah, and you're I'm, freelancing? I'm freelancing and I'm at CBC um, and I, I, yeah, I'm really, it's actually been really great. Um, you and I worked at CBC Music at the same time. We did and then briefly. They, yeah, they let me go. Yeah, I, and, and then I got let go. Um, like yeah, but then they brought you back. Ago. Well, they've sort of. I mean, they <laughs> yeah, they've 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 brought me back two days a week. Um, right. But yes. Good for you. Yes. Is it good? Are you enjoying it? Because when we started, I think around the time you were there, we really seemed to be doing a lot of in-depth analysis and pieces. Are you still able to do that stuff? Like, uh, but I've heard from people that that's yeah, mostly 
photo lists and and clickbait like contests so hey, you... i've done a lot of photo lists yeah I've, you've done but them i've too? had fun I've, I've really enjoyed them and i've i think that you can do those and still have like a curatorial sense yeah. of like information um that you're putting together as well like i try i don't know i think everyone tries to like make content that but they're are they, is it true that they're doing less interview kind of stuff or substantive pieces um i think no i think the desire like there's like a sort of a new editorial focus i think the desire is to do substantive pieces as well oh, okay. as like smaller pieces um i mean my my assignment is to do more substantive pieces that's great so, I, I was i did hear through the grapevine that they sort of let you go and i'm like why would they let go of their best writer like i didn't understand <laughs> and i'm not saying that just to flatter you like we all were like it's great that you were there like i was really happy and uh I hope it goes well for you from that. And then, so you do this book. You have another book project. What do you, what's your next move? I don't know. I haven't. I've got a lot of ideas for other books. Um, I also have a lot of uh, sort of uh, different different things. I that EMP PopCon the other day has yeah. like made my my brains firing on all levels. I think right now as well for that. Um, but uh, I would like to write more books. I think uh, we'll see. You know if. <laughs> I don't really, I mean, it'd be great if people read this. I feel really proud about it. So I'm trying to hold on to that feeling um, and see if anybody pays attention to it at yeah. all outside of like this sort of like this, like it's still like a a, a circle of people really yeah. that I think know about it. So we'll see if anybody else reads it. Well, I, I hope, hope so. I hope this helps spread the word a little bit. And Thank you. Uh, the book is We Ought to Know. Is there, I forget. Is there a subtitle? The <laughs> there so, is. What's it? It says We Ought to Know. How four women, four Canadian women, ruled the '90s and changed music. Great. That's Although you know what, I might have actually just screwed that up because <laughs> now that I'm looking at you, I'm like, is it how four? I, I just have a PDF. They yeah, wouldn't send me a copy of the book. I, I haven't got a copy of the book yet. <laughs> I think there's a mix-up at the publisher. We'll or the get them printer. tomorrow. We'll get them tomorrow, and everything will be fine. It's out on Eternal Cavalier Press. Yes. And people can. Where can people learn more about this thing? Oh, um, online uh, at uh, Eternal Cavalier Press's website. Um, my website is. Uh, called uh, theandreawarner.com theandreawarner.com which is a terribly embarrassing title but Andrea Warner was taken um, and I don't really do like a miss or you just articleized yep. yourself well I didn't do it it's a it's a sort of friend thing that happened a long time ago sure um, anyway yeah so but it does look like it's very you can't win I take flack from some people I think because I just gave my I, you know when I someone was like you should register your domain name so I just made it vishkana.com yeah. and it makes you sound like a like a jackass kind of. Oh, I think adding the in front of yeah, mine exactly. makes me sound way more worse. Like Your I'm, website yeah. makes me feel better about myself. Totally good. That's exactly, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it should do. Yeah. I don't know if we can go out on a song. Maybe we should go out on uh, like Catherine Calder or something. Oh, that would be nice. I bet she wouldn't care. Normally I have to ask, per <laughs> I have to ask permission. I, this has always, this has been awkward lately because I've had sort of non-music guests on the show. Uh, like you're not a musician yourself. Yeah. Are you a musician yourself? No, not at all. No, no I did choir and band, but that's it. Well, maybe we shouldn't just play it. She'd probably appreciate it. Wouldn't she got a new album out that Catherine called? She does have a new album coming out, yeah. Have you I heard it? It's fantastic. I, I reviewed it for Exclaim, and I went and did a piece on her and her house and her studio. For Exclaim? Yeah. Oh, for that What I Play or Where I Play? Uh, music School, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, it's called Music School, yeah, but yeah. then they have a... Anyway, they have yeah, a... Yeah. Okay, let's just do it. And if sure. there's a problem, I'll take it out or something. But is there a song by Catherine Calder that we could play? Yes, I love Take a Little Time. I think it's the lead single off the record, and it's great. What's the name of the album? It's self-titled. Oh, that's right, so it, it is. Balls In, Catherine Calder. That's it. <laughs> great. All right, this is a, a new Catherine Calder song. Uh, Andrea Warner, very nice to speak with you. Thank and you so much. I really enjoyed the book. Excellent. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.